0: So welcome, everyone. It's great to have all of you here today. My name is Jack, and I'm the pastor here, and so I want to welcome you and thank you for spending your Easter with us. It's, it's an honor to have you here today, and it's an, it's an exciting service because it's one of those oh just makes me emotional. And it surprised all of you. <laughs> So all you visitors here today, just get used to it, all right? That's just part of how we roll here, but um All right. So today I want to talk, I want to answer the question, why did Jesus have to rise from the dead? You know, we're all here. It's Easter. We're celebrating Good Friday. We're celebrating that Jesus died on the cross. But I think sometimes we get to that place and we wonder, why did he really have to rise from the dead? And I want to talk about that today because I think sometimes we misunderstand the resurrection. I think sometimes we don't fully grasp and fully understand what Jesus did for us in the resurrection. Ron, I'm glad you opened talking about the resurrection because it's a good reminder of all the things that Jesus did for us on Resurrection Day. And I want to highlight a few of those because I think it helps us to anticipate more of what Jesus wants to do in our life. See, we understand often Good Friday Jesus, but we don't often understand Resurrection Jesus. And my prayer that we walk away from here more excited about what the resurrection means because God, he has great plans for each person here. God has great plans for each person here. And when God moves, he doesn't just move in an individual. He moves in families. And he likes to move in communities. And he likes to move in nations. And that's why God wants to move powerfully in your life because he has a goal for us to fulfill the Great Commission that we would spread the gospel, but it has to begin in each of us. So I pray that you leave today with a new excitement over what God wants to do in your life and in your family's life. Before I continue, I want to show you a video. It's a little two- or three-minute video that gives you a little, a little picture of what God wants to do in your life. I showed this video last Easter, and I like it so much. that I thought, let's look at this again, because what God wants to do is take the current script of your life, Whatever is happening in your life, and he wants to turn it into a beautiful testimony. So let's watch this video, and let's see what God wants to do in your life. My ruins, resurrected. God, this is the end. You can't tell me. You can make the dead in me come back to life. Everything turns to ashes, but without the hope of revival. Imagine living with faith in God. I can't get back on my feet, I stumble and fall, but I am too weak to make it on my own. So my only option is surrender. I throw my hands in the air, I give up, I ruin everything I touch. It's foolish to think that God can restore my life. Wait, God can restore my life? It's foolish to think that I ruin everything I touch. I give up, I throw my hands in the air. Surrender is my only option. I'm too weak to make it on my own, so I stumble and fall, but get back on my feet with faith in God. I can't imagine living without the hope of revival. Everything turns to ashes, but you can make the dead in me come back to life. You can't tell me this is the end. God resurrected my ruins. And that good? See, and that is a bit of a picture of Easter that God wants to take whatever is going on in your life and stop it and flip the story to make a story of redemption. All right, see, I'll tell you why I'm emotional. Okay, it's Easter. That's true. See, how many of you were here last week? I was. All right, that's good. You were here last week. (laughs) We all know. See, last week in my message, I talked about my favorite niece. Remember my story about my favorite niece and her husband. And they're here today. That's a picture of resurrection power. They've gone through a lot. They're going through a lot. Going through surgery. Going through scare of cancer and chemotherapy. Eight months pregnant. And they're here today. That's resurrection power. That's the ability to do something that you cannot do on your own. That's the power of God working in your life to give you strength. That's what Easter is about. I didn't have to show that video. If I could you guys, come up here. <laughs> All right. So that's why I'm crying. I'm excited they're here and I'm excited to see resurrection power working in them so all right. so crying's done let's move on so while I love that video I do love that video and I think it's a picture and it's an exciting thing to see what God wants to do in our life to take a script in our life and stop it and play it backwards and to make a beautiful testimony see a lot of us look at that video and we have things in our life we're like God I just want it gone I just want you to take this away. I want you to take the pain away, the suffering away, the sickness away. I want you to take that all away. But God can actually do something more powerful than just take it away. He can use it to write a story of redemption. And that's the beautiful picture of Easter. But you know, Easter actually goes way beyond that video. Easter is more than just an event. It's more than a day on the calendar. It's more than a story of restoration. Easter is about you and I getting Jesus. It is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of that relationship with Jesus Christ, we have access to the creator of the universe. And that's what Easter is about, that you and I get Jesus in our life. And it doesn't get any better than that. Restoration stories are wonderful, but none of that happens without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why I love the story of Good Friday and the story of resurrection, because we get Jesus and we get God. But to be really honest, some of us are not that convinced that Jesus is all we really need. If we're really honest, we would probably say Jesus is good, but we probably need some other things in our life to really bring us joy and satisfaction. And if you're in that situation today that you're just kind of doubting about God, then this is a great place to be. It's a great place to be, to come to church and to, and to seek, is this God really true? And I hope you feel really welcomed here, no matter where you are on your spectrum of belief and relationship with Christ. See, earlier this week, Ron and I were talking, Ron, the guy who prayed earlier, we are talking about when people come to Christ. See, some people come to relationship with Christ, and it's like a light switch goes off. One minute, you're not really aware of Christ. The next minute, everything makes sense. Some people are like that, but some people are more like the dimmer switch. You're kind of sitting in darkness, and gradually the light gets brighter and brighter, and it's over a time period. You really come to know who Jesus is. That was a little bit more of my experience. That was a little bit more Ron's experience. And so wherever you are on your faith journey, we're glad to have you here. And I hope if you're on the dimmer switch timeline, that today you'll understand the gospel just a little bit more and understand the sacrifice that Jesus made for you, that you could come into a personal relationship with him. See, every good story has always several key ingredients. And two of the key ingredients that are really good in a story is the tension between faith and doubt. Most stories will have a little bit of faith and a little bit of doubt built into them. And it's always good to see in the story where that tension is. And as believers, we often like to say, no, I'm full of faith. I don't have any doubt. But the truth is, no matter where you are in your relationship with Christ, doubt can easily sink in. Doubt happens when things are going along one way and suddenly you run into an obstacle and you're like, man, how did I get here? Or how did this happen to me? Or what's going on in my life? It's easy for doubt to find its way into our story of faith. And see, God understands that. He's not embarrassed by the fact that sometimes we have a little doubt in our life. God knows it so much that he highlighted the story of doubt in his own story of death and resurrection by the Apostle Peter. See, we all love Peter in the Bible because he's the disciple that, well, let's be honest, he he's kind of an idiot at times. He has a lot of this passion. He's excited for Jesus, but he kind of makes silly mistakes along the way. But we love Peter's enthusiasm because... We all love an enthusiastic person. It's kind of fun. So you don't expect Peter the enthusiast to kind of struggle with doubt. Because in the opening when we first meet Peter in the Bible, he's one of the first disciples to join and to follow after Jesus. He's one of the early adapters to kind of jump in. And Peter brings along with him several of his other friends because he's pretty convinced in this Jesus. And we talked about last week that Peter was the apostle that walked on water. That when the disciples were all in a boat on the sea and the storm is brewing all around them, the winds are blowing and the disciples are scared that they're going to lose their life and suddenly they say Jesus walking on the water. And Jesus says to Peter, come. And Peter actually gets out of the boat and walks on water. So you don't expect Peter, the guy, to have doubt. But yet Peter, the guy with crazy, radical faith, is also the guy that when Jesus was killed on the cross, he suddenly doubted everything. Suddenly when Jesus was tried, Peter lost his faith and started doubting to the point where Peter denied Jesus Christ three different times. But everything changed for Peter on Easter morning. Everything changed for Peter on Resurrection Day morning. His doubt turned into determination. I want to read part of the Easter story from John 20, verse 1 through 9. It says, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found, it, found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb, They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed that the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. <clears throat> See, on Easter morning, the disciples found an empty tomb. <clears throat> for Peter, the death of Jesus caused doubt, but the resurrection in him created a new determination. So it had been easy for the disciples to look at the empty tomb and think one of two things to think, you know, First of all, somebody just stole the body. Kind of like they said in the text, somebody just took the body. We don't know where it's at. Or they could have easily thought, you know what, he probably never died. Maybe he didn't die and somehow or another he left on his own. But instead, Peter walked out of that empty tomb a changed man. He walked in discouraged and defeated, but now he walks out and he becomes one of the most important leaders in the Christian movement at that time. From that point on, Peter becomes the leader that everybody else is looking to. And see, I think that's what happens to each of us on Resurrection Day. You either walk out of Resurrection Day more determined, or maybe you still have a little bit of doubt. And Peter walked out determined. How do we know he was determined? Because he continued to follow Jesus. And there's a lot at risk for Peter to follow Jesus because Peter knew that the prophecy about his own life that Jesus gave to him in the book of John said that Peter would someday die for his belief in Jesus. So if Peter is going to follow Jesus, he must also believe the fact that he is going to be crucified just like Jesus someday. That's a pretty hefty price to pay to follow a man. See, you're not going to follow somebody and and, and risk your own life unless you know it is really true. And that's what Peter did that day. See, every one of the disciples died a, a terrific, horrible death. And see, this is the deal. These disciples, some of them had wives. They had family. They had friends. You are not going to give up your life for something unless you know it is really true. And that's what Peter knew that day. He knew that Jesus had rose from the dead. so the question is, are we really convinced of the resurrection? See, I think sometimes we have a really hard time understanding the resurrection. See, we understand sin. We understand the cross because all of us have experienced sin and the consequences of sin. And when Jesus comes into your life and starts convicting you of your sins, you kind of get a good understanding of what sin is about. It's easy to identify with sin because, quite frankly, we've all sinned. Every single one of us, the scripture tells us. It's harder sometimes to talk about the resurrection and what that means because some of us have never been resurrected. We don't know what it's like to walk in new life. We don't know what it's like to walk in restoration. We don't know what it's like to walk in wholeness. And so sometimes we kind of doubt the resurrection or we just really don't think it's, well, maybe that effective or it's really going to work because some of us have never experienced it. And that's my prayer that every single one of us would experience the power of the resurrection, not just for our life, but for our family and for our friends and for our community and for this nation. See, recently I read a book by uh, Greg uh, Kokel. It's a really good book. I like this book. It's called The Story of Reality. And in there, he kind of gave a good explanation of why some people really don't understand the resurrection. This is what he says. He says, when a person has always been dirty, it is hard for him to know what it might feel like to be completely clean. It's kind of simple. It makes pretty perfect sense. If you have lived your whole life dirty, you had no idea what soap was, no idea what water was, and somebody starts introducing to you soap and water in a shower, that's going to sound pretty strange to you because your normal is dirty. And I think some of us, we grow accustomed to living dirty, that the idea of cleanliness seems pretty foreign to us. But yet that's what Jesus came to do. He came to wash us, to cleanse us, to make us holy and pure, and to give us Jesus' righteousness. In 1 Corinthians 6.11, this is what it says. It says, some of you were once like that, referring to the previous verse where it talks about a bunch of sins. Bunch of sins and 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 and, and a, a, I can't <laughs> It's on the tip of my tongue. The verse before he's talking about various sins that people experience or various uh, uh, behaviors that engage in that are sinful, and sometimes you read those sinful lists and you kind of get like, oh boy, I don't know what I'm going to do about that. But see, then you read verse eleven. It says, but that's what some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That's what Jesus does for us. That's how Jesus cleanses each and every one of us. And sometimes when we don't understand it, We don't understand why Jesus is going to do it or how he's going to do it. Sometimes we start then lacking the desire to have Jesus move in our life and to really do something. It's easy to lose desire after you feel defeated after a while. So I'm praying today that the power of the Holy Spirit would give you a new desire to see God move in your life and to see restoration and fullness in your life. I want to conclude my message today by talking about why did Jesus have to rise from the dead. I want to go through four reasons why Jesus had to rise from the dead. I think this will help us get a little bit more of a picture of what Jesus did on the cross. And once maybe we understand the picture of what Jesus did on the cross, it's going to help us understand a little bit more of what he did so we could be restored. So why did Jesus die on the cross? Point number one is to prove who he really claimed to be. The first reason Jesus rose from the dead is to prove he really was who he claimed to be. See, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, it tells us that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. See, all through the Old Testament, there's prophecy after prophecy about Jesus coming to earth and that Jesus would come to earth and that he would die on the cross, he would be crucified, and then he would rise from the dead. It's all through the Old Testament. And see, anybody can make claims. Anybody can make claims about something they're going to do. But what Jesus did is that he proved that every claim about him that he's going to fulfill. Jesus doesn't just make false claims and say, okay, you believe these false things. No, he stands behind it and he proves who he really is. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Paul goes to f- so far to say, if Christ is not raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Now, is Paul saying that the death of Jesus doesn't count without the resurrection? So you know what Paul is saying is the resurrection proves that Jesus died on the cross. The resurrection of Jesus validates every single thing he did. And see, we serve a God who's not limited by power, But we serve a God who's going to back up every single thing that he says with a resurrection. And see, every single promise in the Bible for you and I, for hope and for healing and for eternal life and restoration, every single promise that God makes to us is backed up by the fact that he died on the cross and rose from the dead. The resurrection validates every single promise that Jesus makes to us. And the second reason that Jesus rose from the dead was to conquer death for himself and for us. In Acts 2, verse 24, it says, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep an hold on him. See, it's interesting that the word used here is agony. It's saying God raised Jesus from the agony of death. What does agony mean? Agony is actually a Greek word that is used to talk about the suffering that happens during childbirth. It's used to talking about the pain that happens during childbirth. And there's two things that we know about the pain of childbirth. Number one, once it starts, you feel a little bit helpless. And that was the father's perspective. (laughs) But we know when the pains of childbirth start, once they start, there's not a whole lot you can do. And the second thing is they are going to continue and continue and continue. And that's kind of what Jesus is painting. But the author is painting the picture of the agony that Jesus had to suffer. It's saying what Jesus had to suffer was our sin. That was like the pain of childbirth. That once it starts, you are totally hopeless and helpless. And there's nothing you can do to stop it on your own. See, that's what sin does in our life. That's what the cycle of sin does in our life. Once it starts, there's nothing you can do, and it's going to continue and continue and can continue until it ultimately leads to death. But that's where Jesus comes in. That's where Jesus comes in to stop that cycle. Because without Jesus, there's nothing you can do to stop that cycle at all. And that's what Jesus did on the cross, and that's what Jesus did. resurrection proves that he stopped the agony of sin in your life he stopped that script in your life that was taking you from life to death and when jesus stopped that script suddenly he takes you from death to life and that's what the resurrection does in our life it takes us from the death of sins and it brings us to life but you have to be in christ You have to have a relationship with Christ to see that happen. And that brings me to my third point is that Jesus was resurrected from the dead so we could be overcomers. See, not only is the cycle of sin broken in our life by the power of the resurrection, the consequences of death are stopped so we can walk in resurrection and be overcomers. In Philippians 3, verse 10, it says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. What is Paul saying here? See, Paul is saying, I want more than just to be forgiven for my sins. I want more to have more than just eternal life. I want to understand what it feels like to be whole right now while I'm on this earth. That's what Paul's saying. He said, I want to experience the resurrection right now. So the question we have to answer is, have we really felt or experienced the power of resurrection working in our life? Have we let God bring the dead areas in our life back to life? See, because Jesus is resurrected, we now have the Holy Spirit living in each of us. And the Holy Spirit lives in each of us for many reasons, but one of the reasons is to conquer sin and defeat sin in our own life. But we have to allow the Holy Spirit to do this for each of us. See, so often some people feel so much shame and rejection in their own life. They feel like, I'm not good enough. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve what Jesus has done for me. So in some ways we try to Say, i got to do this on my own. That's not the plan of salvation. That's not the power of resurrection. See, some other people sometimes say, you know what, I've tried this. I've tried this, Jesus. I've tried this, but it's not working that well. And so you kind of give up. See, Easter Sunday is the time for us to come back and to remember what the resurrection does. Maybe some of you need a new hope a new encouragement. Maybe some of you just need to be reminded that Jesus has a bigger plan for you than what you're experiencing right now. In First John 5, verse 4, it says, Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. See, the whole idea of the word overcomer in the Bible is that we're in a battle. Each one of us is in a spiritual battle. And we have an enemy. And we have an enemy that wants to lie to us, wants to steal from us, and wants to destroy us. The Bible gives us scriptures about how God, in the book of Ephesians, talk about how God clothes each of us in the armor of God. And how God protects each of us. And it paints this beautiful picture of God protecting us, but all through the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about standing firm. He tells us we have to stand firm. And see, essentially the word stand firm just simply means you need to rely on God. It's not about each of us trying to fight, but it's just standing in the power of God and relying on the power of God and relying on his resurrection power to bring freedom to every area of our life. See, being an overcomer is the gift that each of you receive when Jesus comes into your heart. It's part of the normal Christian life to be an overcomer. It's part of what Jesus has done for us. And that's the final reason I'm going to give today about why Jesus had to be resurrected from the dead, and that is so he could defeat Satan. See, Jesus' resurrection defeated and destroyed the works of Satan in our life. As a result, Jesus was victorious over Satan. Satan. And now Jesus sits at the right hand of God. And some of you might look at me and think, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If Satan has been defeated, why do we still see see so much evil in this world? Why is there still a lot of bad things going on? And why am I still feeling like he's oppressing me? See, Satan has been defeated, but he hasn't been ultimately destroyed yet. That will come when Jesus comes back again. Satan will ultimately find his final outcome when he's cast into the lake of fire. So right now, we have an enemy who's been defeated. He's been wounded. But he's like a wounded lion. They still have a loud roar. And a loud roar can still scare you. And that's what the enemy does. He roars at us through fear and through intimidation and lies. And he tries to manipulate people to get them to do things that God doesn't want them to do. And that's how we experience Satan in our lives is through lies and manipulation. But we don't have to suffer from Satan's presence or submit to his temptation. The consistent testimony of Scripture is that we have victory through Christ over any demonic scheme of the devil. But we need to take our stand against him. And we take our stand against him by standing firm in the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of what he's done and the truth of the word of God. That's why Scripture says in 1 John, it says, For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's how we stand firm to remember that God is in each and every one of us. There's a little bit of Jesus in every single one of us called the Holy Spirit that helps us discern and defeat every lie that the Satan says to us. And that's the power of the resurrection, is that not only do we have Jesus in relationship with God, but we have the Holy Spirit living in each of us. In a couple minutes, we're going to serve communion together. And we're going to partake of the bread and the wine. And we're going to remember what Christ did on the cross. And we're going to remember his resurrection. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I invite you to come forward today and to partake of the bread and the wine to remember what Christ has done and to encourage us to pursue all that God has for us in the resurrection. Some of you might be here today and you're wondering, what what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Some of you might not exactly be sure what it means to be a follower. See, we live in our culture, and sometimes our word for belief in our American culture is very different from the biblical definition of what belief is all about. See, it's easy in our culture to say, well, I believe God exists, I believe Jesus exists, and I believe Jesus died on the cross, and um, I believe I'm sinful, and think that's good enough. I'm good to go. But what about following Jesus? What about repentance? See, these are two words that Jesus used throughout the Scriptures about his invitation to people. He said, come follow me. Repent of your sins and follow me. See, in our American culture, when we use the word belief, we often use it to mean two different things. First, we use it to talk about something that we believe is true, but it doesn't influence our behavior at all. For example, you might believe that eating fruits and vegetables is a really good thing for you, but you have absolutely no desire to change your diet and eat fruits and vegetables. That's kind of belief without any action. That's Brody. And then there is, that just slipped right out. <laughs> and then there's a belief that's more like it's just an opinion. Like, I think it might rain today. Doesn't matter if it rains or doesn't rain. It's just kind of my opinion. And I think sometimes we use these two words for belief. It's kind of talk about what we think about biblical faith, but it's really not accurate. See, biblical faith is more than just a strong opinion. It's more than an opinion, but doesn't change our behavior. Biblical faith involves strong conviction of what the truth is all about. See, in the Greek language, the word for um, faith is the root word for the word belief. That's why often in Scripture, you will see the word faith and believe used back and forth, because they pretty much mean pretty similar things. Faith or believe simply means believing that something is true, and then committing your life to it. That's what the Apostle Peter did. He believed in the resurrection, so he committed his life to it, even though it cost him his very own life. See, in the Bible, faith means believing in God and believing in what Jesus has done and then committing your life to following Jesus. See, in other words, faith has two parts to it. Biblical faith has two parts. The first part is belief. We believe in the death, we believe in the resurrection, we believe we are sinful, and we believe what God has done for us. And then the second part of faith is commitment. It's a decision not only to believe but to follow. See, a chair is a good illustration. I might have faith that this chair is made of, out of good quality material. I might have faith that it is assembled together really well. I might have faith that it is strong enough to hold my weight. But see, what biblical faith is, is I would actually sit in the chair. I would trust what I believe enough that I'd actually sit in there and trust that it's going to hold me up. And that's what biblical faith is about. When you trust Jesus so much that you're willing to put your entire life into his hands and you know that he's going to hold you up, that's biblical faith, is when you make that commitment. And see, when you have that commitment, you're going to want to lead a life of repentance. Because repentance simply says, you know what? I don't want to live the way I was living before. I want to now live the way that Jesus wants me to live. And that's the picture of salvation. Is that we believe in the claims, but we also want to follow the claims. And we put our full and complete trust in the claims. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus but also to be a follower of Jesus is that you can be like Peter at times and you can experience a little doubt. You can experience a little discouragement when things get tough and they can be hard. That doesn't mean you doubt Jesus. It means you're human at times and it's painful. But I invite you to come to communion today. And come to communion today with the expectation that Jesus is going to nourish you today. That as we eat of the bread and we remember his body that was broken for us, and we drink of the grape juice, and we remember the blood of Jesus that was poured out for us, may partaking in communion and remembering what Jesus did on the cross, and remembering what he did when he was resurrected, may that give you some nourishment today that's going to give you strength to deal with whatever you're dealing with and maybe give you some hope that Jesus can break through in your life in a way maybe you've been asking him to do but you haven't seen yet. So as a follower of Jesus, come partake in the communion and let God build an expectation in each of you for what he wants to do in your life. And Gam is